I'm Tom. I'm Stephanie. This is a podcast about what bonds people and places together. Or as we like to call it, food glue. Welcome back to the studio. We've been absent for a while, but we're back in now. We've got our coffee and our sparkling drinks. And I have a question for you. So the question of the show, mm-hmm. um, who is your favourite TV cook stroke chef? That's an important distinction as well, cook versus chef. For example, Nigella does not consider herself to be a chef. She considers herself to be a home cook. That's a tricky question. I I don't love watching Jamie Oliver on TV. There's something about his delivery that makes me feel a bit like, whoa, everything is a Russian in a panic. Um, who Who is my favourite TV chef? Of all time, like ever. It doesn't have to be current, but all time. I was going to say, I sort of grew up on Ready, Steady, Cook and Ainsley Harriet and... Oh, who's the shorter one? They don't even have to be very good. No, but there was some... I just... It was welcoming and warm and as a, as a child it felt achievable, a lot of the stuff on Ready, Steady, Cook. It didn't feel like too um, hoity-toity. These days, i tell you who I do think is really accessible and really good on TV is um, Nadia Hussein. Okay, yep. From Bake Off. Um, I have favourite chefs that are maybe not on TV. We can maybe save that for another yeah. another question. So exactly. Nadia Hussain, why do you mm. like Nadia? She does stuff with food I wouldn't necessarily expect. She's broken out of her mould. Um, she has this, I remember watching her um, TV programme once and she did this recipe with wraps that she um, whisks an egg in the pan and then puts the wrap in. And so you get like an eggy wrap, extra protein for a quick lunch. It's great. And that's really stuck in my head. Like there's little snippets from her shows that really stick in my head. And I just really like her delivery. I think it's really approachable. I feel like I've not given a great answer there. I felt like I was going to have a gut answer and I don't. I'm, I'm now thinking, okay, what what shows do I like to watch on television? What are my favourite cooking shows? But I don't, yeah, it's terrible. What about you? Right. Mine was a lot easier. Because, like most of my answers, I'm you know I think I'm clearly correct, and <laughs> like my biscuit answer I had for you, you know, there was only one. There is only one true answer. I think, and for me, this is my answer. The only one true answer for me is Keith Floyd. Yeah. Now you, I don't know if you, you're a bit younger than me, so I don't know if you have a, any recollections of watching. He's Keith normally Floyd. on Saturday Kitchen. Yes. So he's kind of. He was the first. Oh, one of the first cooks, he considers himself a cook, even though he was a chef in real life, he considers himself a cook. One of the first cooks to get out of the studio. Mm. So he had Fanny Craddock and mm-hmm. uh, especially Delia Smith. Mm-hmm. All of those people did a very kind of regimented textbook approach to cooking food. Even people like Ken Hom and Madda Jaffrey when they first started. Very studio-based. Keith was one of the first that went out into the to the country that mm. they were talking about and cooked mm. in the wild up a hill, he took mm. over someone's kitchen and, and they were shouting at him because he was doing it, he was doing this French recipe wrong and there's some French matriarch just sitting in the corner just grumbling at him, absolutely outstanding. And this is in the 80s and there wasn't much on TV in the 80s and to see Keith travelling the world, looking at all these France, Spain, Portugal, everywhere and it was much more of a... A travel, almost a travel vlog. You, do, it's very, you look at it now, it's very modern. It's almost like mm. the stuff you see on YouTube. Mm. People going around and travelling and taking pictures and enjoying themselves. 
There's lots of incidental poncy shots by the cameramen who are clearly having a lovely time taking mm. pictures of water flowing under bridges and mm. birdies tweeting and stuff like that. But for the travel shows of the time as well, if you think about it from that angle, it was very much more about the people as well, interacting yes. with the locals. Um, whereas the travel shows of the time are like, let's look at this historical monument. Let's work out the kind of language and how complicated it is to travel here rather than let's meet the people and see what they have to say. I think Rick Stein's really taken on the mantle of um, Keith Floyd as well in a similar similar vein. Yes. Um, what's interesting, you talked about Saturday Kitchen. I remember several times watching Saturday Kitchen and there was a Keith Floyd segment and all the chefs went, oh, here we go. Looking <laughs> brilliant, looking forward to this. <laughs> because he was, I think he's, he was the king of this kind of stuff. You know, he's sadly passed now. Mm. And also the reason I have very fond memories of Keith Floyd's programmes as we used to watch a lot when I was a kid. My parents loved travelling in Europe and this was one of the only opportunities they got to see Europe on the TV. Mm. Almost like they used to watch the Tour de France. They had actually not much interest in, in cycling, but they just used to like watching the, the Tour de France highlight show because it went past places they'd been to or they wanted to go to on holiday and they wanted to see France. And Keith was the same. Very much showed us bits of Europe you would never see on a normal travel show because he is in someone's kitchen and he is up a, up a hillside mm. sampling some peasant sausage. Mm. Absolutely incredible. So, and he's one of my food heroes because he doesn't measure stuff. Mm. And of course, he was. Yes, he was an absolute alcohol chain smoking alcoholic. I was going to say that was <laughs> going to be my main memory is his very laissez-faire attitude to cooking and always a glass of wine in hand. It was a great one. As I started watching it back on YouTube, I was talking to Joe about this. this is why I brought it up. And I was talking to Joe about one episode, whether in Spain, in northern Spain, but they wouldn't actually they wouldn't even call it Spain, it'd be Catalan. Mm. Um, and the locals were very clear that they were Catalan, not Spanish. Very, very clear. And he went out for Pinchos, which is basically their version of tapas. And the crew got increasingly sozzled as they went around. We hit about seven <laughs> bars, had rough red wine in all of them, taking all these tapas. And it ends up basically with like the producer with his hands in his head in his hands on the harbour side, puking his guts up. Oh no! And the sound man <laughs> handling the it's just everyone's absolutely rattled. And it's it's absolutely you know. You're fine, over drinking. But it was absolutely hilarious. And this was on ma- this was mainstream prime time yeah. BBC One at the time. You know, this was like the sh- the cooking show. So we went and found it on YouTube and it was just as just as wonderful. <laughs> just as good the second just time. As, oh, it's just brilliant. And um they are all up on YouTube. You might have to do a bit of searching because I'm sure they're unlicensed. But watching someone cook with cook and talk to people with such passion mm. about it, and we've met people on our travels recently with our interviews that have that same passion about what they do. And I think that he was really key in searching out people like that where, wherever he went. And at Source, so the producer at Source or the chef at Source. And I think we have to put it in its, in its era as well. And at that time, things like paella were new to the oh, UK. Yeah. So the things he was cooking were kind of foreign concepts People were starting to go on package holidays, were starting to explore these places. And so for some people, Keith Floyd was how they travelled through their television and how they experienced new flavours and new cultures um, and made them want to go. Absolutely. I think it's great that you have seen some Keith Floyd. Mm. I have that emotional connection from my childhood Mm. with Keith Floyd. Um, and he was a complete lunatic and he was a terrible <laughs> businessman and he had several businesses that didn't work and there's some interesting documentaries on him. But passion for people yeah. and places and bringing people together through food, absolutely amazing. I think he set a precedent as well with that kind of cooking on location on one gas. Because yes. I even think, talking about Jamie Oliver at the start of this, one of his series is 
either in, during the pandemic or pre-pandemic, he was doing that. He'd be there with one single gas stove out and about. And it's like there's something, it's like a rite of passage for a TV chef to be out shooting on location with the peril of your rocket blowing away or yep. your <laughs> napkins blowing and away. And you've got to do the market shot. So he'd go to, mm. the, you know, and it's really, you see it, I think sometimes you, you watch Keith now and you go, this is really conventional because we've got so used mm. to people doing this, wandering through the local market. Mm. As you say, cooking on one gas burner up the side mm. of the mountain with the wind howling. It's been a nightmare for audio. Yeah. Um, and he has been incredibly influential in the way we see cooking shows today. Yeah. I'm sure there were other people at the time doing similar. Yeah. But he was the one on British TV and he was yeah. the one that I remember very passionately. And also opening up that, yeah, a change to the way the cooking was done. Because I think the other chefs we talked about, so... Um, Oh, there's a lady I'm trying to think of. Jane Grigson um, and Delia, they actually were on TV in almost commercial kitchens, a bit like the one you see on Saturday Kitchen now where they've tried to make it look homey by leaving some croissants and things out, but actually it's a studio kitchen. Whereas these days on TV, we've talked about Nigella, we've talked about Nadia, we've talked about Jamie Oliver. They're in their home kitchen or a someone's home kitchen to make it feel relevant. But before Keith, it was very much... Like a master chef style yeah. kitchen, and it was all weighed. Yeah, fifteen grams. Mise en place, everything out in its little tiny yeah um, saucers. He'd be throwing stuff in. Mm. Let's make it more happy. And salt over his shoulder. So wine in the dish, wine for me. Thank mm-hmm. you very much. So yes, so well, I'm glad you. Keith Floyd. Keith Floyd, what a legend. May he rest in peace. peace. I'm going to carry on, I'm afraid, the Keith Floyd special. Okay. With Cookbook Corner. We still haven't got a Cookbook Corner um, jingle yet, have so we? So we almost make us a Cookbook Corner jingle. Please let us know on the Instagram or email address mm-hmm. and let us know. So I, this is a bit of a, I kind of bought this post recipe, but I had felt I had to justify myself with the recipe choice. So Cookbook Corner this time is Floyd on Spain. Now, out of print. Of course, this is... Ooh, so Amazon Marketplace, Amazon, if you want one. Amazon Marketplace, Charity is it? Shop three or four, Three or four pounds. Nice. Um, quite an old school cookbook. Um, it's, I'm looking at Tom flicking through it, and it's one of those ones where there's the odd coloured picture. My copy of um, Didi is the same. Um, so you kind of have to look for the coloured picture, and it'll say, oh, this is recipe number 45 or whatever, and refer back. I'm pretty sure... The quantities in the recipes are largely made up as well. <laughs> and they're all in Oz. <laughs> because it's based on... What's yeah, an Oz? Oz? It's based on stuff from the sh- TV show with some additions, mm-hmm. most of which, as we said, was thrown together on a mountainside mm. over a single burner with them throwing random stuff in. So I think some of these are a bit on the kind of... We'll have to read through the credits and there's probably a team of home, home economists, as they were probably called at the time, who had to work out all the actual amounts <laughs> and test the recipes three times after what? Keith threw it together. Yeah. It's wonderful. And there's some really quite rustic stuff in this you know this mussels and clams and tomato and wine sauce with about five ingredients because the ingredients you speak for itself the ingredients here we're using straight off the harbour in spain yeah in we're spain. trying to recreate it at home it's, not so much and certainly in the center of not we've actually got very good fishmongers nearby mm. us but generally trying to get really good shellfish in in britain in the center of britain is quite difficult mm. talking of fish i've just been in sweden um, in Gothenburg, and we went out to one of the islands called Hönö, which is spelled H-O-N-O, but I've learned it's Hönö because of the um, accents above the O's. We 
drove across the island on ferry and then parked and then walked. And this restaurant is called Tulhuvet, Toll House. And it's just a seafood restaurant and it's been there many, many, many years. I had the most amazing meal. What did you have? I had lobster soup to start, which came, we got given a bowl with a little piece of lobster in it. I don't know, some other, like a pretty little bowl of things and a cheese straw, no soup. And then they came around with these massive jugs of lobster bisque. It was probably 90% cream and poured it over the bits and bobs in the bottom. Mm. It's amazing. And then um, a baked cod loin from Maine with mashed potato and some more lobster sauce. Oh, it was delicious. Yeah, I'm going to think about that meal for a really long time. And we watched the sunset out over the harbour of these islands in Sweden, and it was really special. Sorry to digress from Do you want to still be Keith there? Lloyd chat. Yeah, I kind of do. It was really nice. Stephanie was filling in while I was leafing through the book, trying to find the recipe I was going to talk about. So it's a great book. Oh, as I said, of its time. That's the kind of classic basic sources, relishes. Those are really useful, though, because I don't remember how to make stuff. I don't have the brain to just be like, oh, I'm going to make a... Bernays and yep. just whip it up and actually I don't think you necessarily do unless you've been on a course so having those basics is always really it's useful. Got all the basics, basic marinades, fish and shellfish and all that stuff. The recipe we're going to talk about today is mountain breakfast. I am, how much your Spanish like? <laughs> Terrible, I don't speak any Spanish. <laughs> all right, I won't embarrass ourselves by trying to pronounce mountain breakfast in Spanish. It's basically sausage and beans. Nice. Um, but made on a mountain in a howling but, gale. Um, and we were, and so we watched <laughs> Keith Floyd cooking this on a ha- in a howling gale on a ma- on a mountainside, and we were mm-hmm. like, "Well, that looks like a great time." So we got a big cast iron Petromax pot out, and put it on the burner, mm-hmm. and made pork and beans. Mm. Um, so it's not just pork and beans, you know, but pork and beans can be hind beans in a, in a banger, or it can be a French cassoulet. Mm. Which is a wonderful thing. You've made me think straight away of having a bigger piece of pork and using the fat on the pork to then kind of make, rather than using oil in the pan, you're using the fat off the pork. Is that called rendering the fat down? Rendering the fat down, yeah. Me with my chefy words. So Floyd says, this comes from a few days spent mountain biking up in the Sierra Nevada. Well, there you go. Mm. And with limited cooking facilities. Been talking about that. And he ensured that his pannier bags always had some spicy Spanish sausage. Smoked ham and a couple of jars of plainly cooked white beans. Cannellini beans. Yeah, so basically we just went and raided Sainsbury's for yeah. some spicy-ish sausages. Yeah. Chorizo. Uh, also we chucked some black pudding in mm. to thicken the sauce up. And cannellini beans. And it was absolutely delicious. But super simple. But mm. the be- the, all the black pudding rendered down and made the sauce really thick. Mm. I really didn't need very much. We'll share a um, either a link to this or probably we can share the recipe because it's out of print on the show notes. Yeah. And actually, if you listen back to our Essen episode, I think if you wanted to make this recipe as true to Spanish as you could get, go and visit Essen. They have the white beans in jars, which are way better than the canned. They'll definitely have yeah. some excellent spicy sausage. And you could really, as you say, you can you can cook this recipe in a number of ways. You can have it at the basic, basic bitch version or you can go full... Yeah, fancy chef wankery we, on it. We just kept chucking stuff Sorry, in Mom. to a certain point, um, but we wanted to be reasonably authentic. Without, I think your your idea of can only beans from Essen is a really good one. Mm. If we make it again, I'll have to wander down and get some. Mm. But you know, nice, the best fresh tomatoes we could find, decent beans that we could find, nice black pudding, mm. really good spicy sausages. Mm. 
whatever fresh herbs we had in the garden, because again, he's picking herbs off, yeah. off the side of the hill. We've got some herbs in, in planters around here. And doesn't really, and he's like, you know, as he says, it doesn't really matter. Whatever you've got, chuck it in. Yeah. Don't get, don't get worried about putting time in if you haven't got any time. Put, yeah. put some great stuff in. So it wasn't quite as, I'm sure it was, wasn't quite as nice as cooking high on a mountain. <laughs> but it was a real taste of, taste of Floyd, taste of Italy, uh, taste of Spain. So and that, did you have it in, you've got some really nice terracotta serving ware and cooking ware. We did, did you? Yeah. That also adds the experience, doesn't it? It's not just about the food. It's about, you know, laying the table, putting candle on, having your terracotta dishes. That's why we cooked in the cast iron. Yeah, brings than, more flavour. Rather than cooking on. Also, it just felt a bit more Floyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we got some lovely terracotta. Joe's been, my partner, has been collecting pottery for mm-hmm. her entire life. So we have some lovely, mainly from places like Spain and France and, and Portugal and everything else. So we served it in authentic Spanish dishes as well. It was really, really nice, really simple, really nice, hearty winter mm. winter food. You can cook it up nice and early and just reheat and eat it later. Mm. Chuck an egg on top. If you like it, then you should have put an egg on it. And all that kind of stuff. Going on Spain, out of print, £3.40 mm. on Amazon. Oh, my goodness. Sorry, I'm flicking through. Partridge in chocolate. There is some really quite random stuff. I don't know where you'd go well, we would partridge. call it we would call it random because we're just not used to that. Well, and that's interesting because people talk about that now. Oh, it's isn't it interesting that Mexican mole has got chocolate in it? Well, there you go. The Spanish have been doing it for ages. Well, probably where the influence comes from. Yeah. Or they've brought it back with them from from that exactly. from that area. That's great. Thanks for sharing, Tom. <laughs> I'm really interested. I, I could just flick through this for ages now. Like, I get I'm a bit really addicted kind of, to cookbooks. The trouble is I just read them all and then I don't make anything. This is why I'm not allowed to buy any more. Well, I've got a self-imposed cookbook ban. One in, one out on cookbooks. Have you not got a I massive ask. cookbook bookcase? No, I need to put some bookshelves up. That's the problem is they're all in boxes and then you don't use them. So I think when they're all out, my, my goal is in the kitchen is to put a shelf really high up. So just above the door that runs all the way around the top of the kitchen yeah. to layer my books on because then you're going to see them at the same time as not seeing them. Like if you're in the kitchen, they're not in your way, but you can, you know, oh, what should I cook this weekend? And your eyes can just whiz around the whatever jumps Absolutely. out at you and go for it. As are on a bookcase in our, I call it the middle room. Um, right next to a big sofa mm. near a window, so you can kind of just wander in. Oh, what's what do we yeah. fancy? We're kind of poke, poke in the fridge. What have we got? Wander over to the next room, pull a book out the wall, pull, pull a book out of the bookcase, and sit down and have a little little read and get some inspiration. I love all the recipes on the internet, but it's not the same as a cookbook. It's not. There is something about flicking it. through stuff. It's also much faster. Yeah. Because I can go through, and also it's less specific. The internet, you tend to have to be quite specific. You have to search for something, whereas with a bookcase, you've got it all there, and you can rapidly get through a book. I just, it's got to have a good index, though. It'll be yeah. Oh, I fancy a stew, Spanish, right? Great. Yeah. It's a lot fun. Some some respects, the internet's great, but yeah, yeah, you have to be very specific about what you're mm. looking for. Whereas with books, you don't. You can mm. just grab something at random. Well, I quite fancy something Persian, or I fancy something Mexican, or I fancy mm. something Spanish. I just listened to a podcast on the plane, actually, uh, 99% Invisible, which I highly recommend. They just had one on search and how the evolution of the internet search has happened and why why sometimes you can't find what you want in your um, mailbox or on your PC. 
Um, and they were actually talking about using Google to search other websites and that they were saying about using Reddit, um, which I think in the UK we don't really use Reddit at all, but that it's a good source of um, crowdsourced information, which I'd never really thought about. I use Reddit quite a lot, but it's very specific. Mm, in a niche. Niche groups. I bet there's a Keith Floyd Reddit Oh, but String. you got me thinking now. Mm. I'm going to have to... I'm kind of tempted just to shut down the podcast and go and have a look, but I better carry on talking. I'd also be interested to know from other people who their favourite TV chef of all time is mm. and if you've got a real passion for who you love to watch on TV, um, cook or someone that maybe we haven't seen yet or maybe there's some great YouTube stars that we need to check out and experience the way they cook on film. That's a good point, really, because I did say TV, but mm. I'm sure there are many, many... YouTube people mm. or social media and some visual social media that TikToks TikTok cooking do wonderful things I haven't done that baked feta yet I've got I've got a feta to do the tick, the old TikTok baked feta situation but I haven't done it yet I'm not aware of the TikTok baked feta situation was it a thing we'll look it up yeah. we'll look it up so we're going to look for Keith Floyd Reddit and then the TikTok <laughs> baked feta situation basically Tom and I are now going to go down the internet black hole while is that like a chocolate black hole but not as tasty yes absolutely Well, I think we probably should leave Park Keith for now, bless him, and move on to another subject. Mm. So recently, we went out to a relatively new place in Beeston called uh, the Beeston Social. I don't think it's been there a year yet, has it? So it is. Well, that's oh. definitely still new. Oh, it's definitely new. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like brand new opened last week as of October 2022, but it's been there a few months. It's nice, actually. I think some... Local places have got their first birthdays coming up soon as well, so we'll talk about that. Um, so we went to Beeston Social in town. It's underneath the cinema, so it's really centrally located. It's great if you kind of um, want to pop in somewhere. It's open pretty much all day long. I think, do they open at eight? Might even be earlier. And they've kind of tried to make it feel a little bit almost like a food hall without the counters. Yep. So you go in and there's a coffee bar where you can get sandwiches and cakes. So if you're just popping in in the day and you want something quick and easy. But when you sit down at a table, there's like three or four menus. So it feels a bit like you're at one of these trendy food court places. So there's a pizza menu and a burger menu and a main menu and a drinks menu. And then they've kind of, from their Penny Lane heritage, they've got a corner with arcade games. Should we dig into that a bit more? Yeah. So this, this isn't a one-off establishment. No. It's a part of a, I hesitate to call it a chain. It's almost like a series of very heavily themed establishments. Mm -hmm. um, and not, they are, I think they're a Nottingham-based company. Yeah, I think yeah. So. They've got a few places. So Penny Lane is in not Nottingham Town Centre. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very heavily based around the kind of arcade thing. I mean, the fit-out in these places is really, really, really high mm. level. They've spent a lot of money and a lot of time mm. on fitting them out. It's not your average kind of cafe restaurant. It's also massive. It is a huge unit. I can see why they have to open all day and they have to drive people through. I actually really like that they've got that room upstairs. I'd like to hire that out for something. If you're having a, a party or a get-together, it would be perfect. They've also got some very lovely teak furniture in there, which I've got some proper envy of. They've got books everywhere. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised if they've got a copy of Floyd on Spain somewhere on one of those bookshelves. They've been to like a charity shop and just bought the whole place out. So there's random reference books and titles. Um, <clears throat> you can take your dogs in there. They've got comfy seats, they've got high stools, got proper tables. 
there's a real mix of something for everyone in there. I think, well, that's what they're going for. You mentioned yeah. it's a big unit. It must yeah. be paying an enormous amount of rent. Mm. And they've got to keep people in there. And it's mm. open all day, pretty much. I think they've, you know, they've got a reasonably late licence, certainly for Beeston. We went in there together, didn't we, for lunch? Yes. What did you think about the amount of the people there? Real the... mixed bunch, wasn't there? Kids playing on the arcade games, kind of keeping themselves busy. I bet in half term it's it's rammed in there with kind of mums catching up over coffee and a croissant and the kids just going nuts on the Pac-Man or whatever it is. I actually should go and have a look at what arcade games they've got, but normally I'm more focused Sega on Rally. food. Mm. Um, and they got like a foosball table or something. I think they got, yeah, foosy-ballsy tables. And... Mm. There were also some older people in there, weren't there, just having a cup of tea and catching up. What I found remarkable was just the sheer variety. A couple of dads and their kids having a burger or a pizza before. Going to the cinema, mm. a couple of older ladies having a cake and a pot of tea, um, young ladies, mm. gentlemen, like us. teenagers, yeah. Safe place. Yeah, did you get that vibe from it? Mm. Joe feels like that. Joe's my partner. Joe's been there a few times now with her friends. Or I definitely go in there on my own. Or if I was waiting to meet somebody at the cinema, I'd definitely go in there and just chill out because I don't know. Some places you go and you feel like you might get judged judged for only ordering a cup of tea or yeah. like oh i'm gonna take you know this place is small i can't just go in there and have a a soft drink at this time of day they'll want my table to get people drinking or get people eating whereas you could go into beast and social and just nurse a cup of tea for an hour if you were waiting for someone and reading the book and it would be fine yeah i think it is and we've talked about this talked about this a lot in the greenhood episode we've talked mm. about either double down on what you do best mm. or do everything for all people and the beast yeah. and social is very much a do everything for all people kind of establishment. Absolutely. But it's big enough to do that. Yeah. And I actually kind of regretted when we went that I didn't just go to the coffee bar and get a sandwich because I ended up getting a few of their sharing plates. And it, they were both delicious. I had a hummus, which was incredible, and some edamame, but it was a little bit random for lunch. I enjoyed it. I didn't want, like, a burger or a pizza, but we actually went back afterwards on a Sunday after being outdoors all day um, with the dogs... And four of us went and we all had a pizza and they were all amazing. Great number of veggie options. They've got um, non-tomato base, which I like. I like to have like a white base or yeah. just a, something else. And they were great. Really good pizza. They're big, eh? Yeah, they were big. I actually, yeah, you're right. I didn't finish my pizza. They're big. Big. So they, how much were they? Were they like 12 quid each? Yeah, 11, 12 pounds, depending on toppings. But I mean, to be honest... You might get a pizza to share and a side, actually, would probably be enough unless you'd... We'd been out, like, all morning and say we were all starving and I still didn't finish my pizza. And on Monday, they do two-for-one pizzas, so I'm keen to go after swim on a Monday night. Well, I've been in with a, with a friend who's of a similar size to me. Big, mm. big, hefty lad. He couldn't finish his pizza. I mean, the two lads I was with finished their pizzas. But they didn't then eat our leftovers, so... Oh, so they hadn't... They... Top, top them off, yeah. So when I went, I had one of the burgers... Mm, it looked really good, actually. It was really good, really good. You could pay a lot of money for a burger. And this was, again, a similar price, £11, £12. Mm. Pounds. Um, kind of blue cheese, garlic mushroom, double patty, skin on fries. And coleslaw. And coleslaw. It good it was I was pretty full up. Yeah. And the burger, the meat felt reasonably good quality. Mm-hmm. Didn't feel like, you know, they felt like it was seared properly. So they'd got some char and some taste into it. It wasn't, mm. and it must have a probably hot, hot, hot plate. You can see it in the kitchen as well, can't yeah. you? There are some all kind of world, world foody plates isn't there not brilliant but i kind of find that a bit random they've got the pizza menu the burger menu and then they've got what they call their main menu which has yeah. got like pick and mix sherry plates i guess for in betweeny times 
And then they've got like maybe four or five random dishes, which seem a bit out of place, I think, on the menu. Is there like a fish and chips and yeah. something else? Again, I think it's everyone for all people, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe the menu will evolve as, the, again, it's quite new. Yeah. I think if you're going to go, I think you... I think the, the, have a burger or a pizza. Have a burger or a pizza. They're, they're the standout. Good value, big, large, yeah. really tasty. I can see why there's some pizza places nearby struggling a bit. Mm. Opening with that nearby. Mm. And I think you have to be quite brave to open a an establishment in Beeston now that competes with the social. Mm. Like you have to do one thing really, really well. Yeah, They're going to get all the kids. Yeah. I think all the parents with kids are going to go there because if you want an easy life, you can be like, go and play with the arcade games for five minutes. It's also, if you go with a big group, yeah. one, it's all generally all online ordering. Mm-hmm. So you scan a thing. It's easy to pay. You can, everyone can pay their own bill. Yeah, you can go when you're done. Sorted, don't have, to, don't have to hang around. You can order drinks to the table. You don't mm. have to go to the bar, mm. again, off the same system. Mm. Um, that makes group stuff super easy. Fine, I'm sure they would probably rather not get 11 separate mm. orders, but... doesn't matter. Done. You're, You're done. happy that stuff's going to come out at slightly different times. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and that makes, you know, so if people got want, and if people want to eat different things... Yeah, exactly. It's all covered. Yeah. Veggie options. Yeah. Meat, it's, all, it's all done. You don't have to worry about it. So it's... Yeah, I think it's perfect for a group. I definitely go there again. I definitely go there. Actually, if I'm hungry, it's a good place to go. Definitely before the cinema, and yeah, nice easy vibe in there. You know, and you don't want anything too stiff. But then on on the other side, we went to the cinema once and went to go in there afterwards. And I didn't want a pizza or a burger, and we left and went to the Indian around the corner, yeah. which I really like because we wanted to sit down and be served. We didn't want to be bish bash bosh. We were like, this is date night. We want to sit down. We want to relax. We want to enjoy and share some bits. And it wasn't right for that. So yeah. it's not right for everything. But I think yeah, great. Um, drinks wise. I'm going to comment on the beer, the mm. beer man. Um, there's nothing very exciting on mm. the beer menu. It's mainly mainstream uh, draft beers and lagers. There are some kind of IPAs and and bitters in there, but it's nothing. There's nothing really that exciting. Um, They're mainly into their cocktails, aren't they? Yeah, fun fun cocktails. Yeah. Um, I think there's enough of a variety that even if you are a craft beer person or you're a complete beer snob, there's something you can have. There's not, you're not going to get a, a verdant or a cloud got, water. Uh, or... neck oil. Yeah, beef town neck oil. Mm-hmm. Um, Camden. So a lot of, the, you know, which is kind of the mainstream craft, isn't mm. actually craft. They're all owned by mm. large breweries, but it's fine. It's good mm. enough. There's something, there'll be something for you. Yeah. And if you want something really specific, there's enough, there's enough craft beer and micro pubs in Beeston that you're, you're well served in that respect. And did we have coffee? I had a coffee. You had a coffee? It was nice. That was perfectly fine, wasn't it? I think it's 200, is it 200 yeah. degrees? Yeah, 200 degrees. So it's tasty. Well, so that's the Beeston Social, middle of Beeston, underneath the cinema. Yep. Easy to get to. That's probably the other thing to mention before we finish off this segment is it's right next to the uh, travel interchange. So buses, trams. Yep. So you can easily get in, have a drink and get yep. home again without any trouble. Yeah. So I think they've got it made there. Yeah. The only issue is, yeah, I think other other businesses. Yeah. But that's that's not, I guess that's not, that's a, someone else's problem. Absolutely. We went on a bicycle treasure hunt. We did. I really like calling it a bicycle treasure hunt and I definitely want to do one again. It's made me also think about maybe I should try orienteering, which I think is kind of the same kind of vibes. You've got places you've got to go. need to improve my map skills for that. But we convinced ourselves that this was a great idea as well because part of the treasure hunt was finding some delicious cafes. 
two of which we knew where they were, so we knew that was going to be an easy treasure hunt situation. Yeah. And the third one I had never been to. Yeah. Well, the first one that we went to I had never been to. Which This was Stonehurst Farm in Mount Sorrel, which is past Loughborough. Luga Baruga. if you're not from the area or you meet an American. Can you tell me where Luga Baruga is? That's more Australian, isn't it? Mm. Um, There's actually some really good... Need to explore out that way more. Have I already talked about Bonbon Patisserie on the podcast? No. Also, in, there's two in Loughborough, and they do the most amazing stuffed cookies. But anyway, we digress. I think there's some good vibes in Loughborough. We should explore it. So what did you think of Stonehurst Farm? Oh, it was great. So rustic. We pulled in on our bicycles, and it's like cobbledy and old and bits of farm machinery sitting around and a grindstone and then you sort of came through a barn had to duck down little wooden tea room tables they knew there were going to be quite a lot of people kind of exploring so they just had mounds and mounds and mounds of scones i still haven't had a scone maybe that's what we do we go back and have a cream tea that'd be good we should do that because i didn't want because we had to get back on the bike so i didn't want to say oh yeah i'm just gonna sit here and have a cream tea for 45 minutes and i'm pacing around outside yeah so we had cheese straws which were excellent very good Really good. And a quick espresso. Um, Great vibe in there. But they had... It was only a tiny counter, but they had a lot in there. They probably had a couple of cake cakes, scones, some nice gingerbread biscuits. So if you went with children, you know, something not too... Something fun. I think they were tractor-shaped. They were tractor-shaped. And full suite of um, coffees. Do they also have a menu? They do. They do pretty much do a full menu as well. Great. Sandwiches. We didn't really explore that. So definitely want to go back there again. And I think it's a place you can go for a day out, can't you? It's a few little, like a farmy bit and a shoppy bit, a farm shoppy bit. Well, maybe not a day out, maybe a morning out. Yes, run as a, obviously it's an old farm that's now running running as a commercial visitor Mm. attraction. Mm. And it's got very much got a 1920s, 1930s vibe going on. They've got old signs and old um, petrol pumps and old old tractors. And they've got a bunch of pigs for the kids, pigs, a bunch of animals for the kids. They've got pigs and sheep and cows and horses, but they're, you know, they're not, it's not a commercial farm. It's a, it's mm. a visitor attraction. If you've got kiddlywinks and you're going into half term, it'd be a perfect place to take them. You can get some bits and bobs in the farm shop for the evening, pop into the coffee shop, have some lunch, have a look at the pigs, wander around, explain what all the old farm machinery is. It'd sit be on. a nice way to spend a morning, I yeah, think. Yeah, sit on a tractor. There's not much else in Mount Sorrel, so you're not you're not going to be going anywhere else. But um, some good walks around there, I'm sure. Well, it's definitely worth a trip. Yeah, it's also quite near Beacon Hill and Bradgate Farm, uh, Bradgate Park. So you could do a bit of a walk on Beacon Hill yeah. Country Park or Bradgate Park, and then head yeah. down. It's only be five ten minutes in a car and yeah. get down there. Plenty of parking. Or ride by bike like we did. Yeah, there's tons of parking out the back as well for cars. Yeah, um, and. There you go. Because it's off the off the road and it's only a small village anyway, I felt comfortable just leaving my bike tucked around in a corner as well. Didn't feel like I needed to lock it up or anything. It was very chilled in there, people just out having a nice Saturday morning coffee and cake stop. Yeah, enjoyed yeah. it. Would go again. Would yeah, you have a scone? You have a scone next time. Or cream tea. Cream yeah. tea. So there's it's it's one of the it's a it's a local cycling friendly cafe they always have cyclists in yeah um no bike racking always a bit surprising when places like that don't have any mm. bike racking but it's quite very there's old. enough corners in enough the corners. like barns and things outside yeah, to you, prop it up you just leave it you leave your bike by one of the farm cats and then just hope the farm cat gets upset <laughs> so they're just sleeping on straw bales <laughs> dossing about just watching kind of one eye open just watching people mill around that's quite sweet i wouldn't pet them though they're you know 
semi-feral farm cats. But <laughs> <laughs> depends how much of a cat whisperer you are. But they're uh, it's just a nice place. It's mm. definitely got that got that old school vibe to it. I really want some clotted cream now. <laughs> You're not dreaming of clotted cream. Yeah. What if the social does? I teams? much prefer clotted cream to jam. You think jam? that sounds weird, doesn't it? But I I go for like. 60, 70% clotted cream, a little bit of jam. Do you? And not strawberry. I hate strawberry jam. Controversial opinion there. Okay, so let's go for the classic question then. Mm. Is it jam first or cream first? Cream, because I want more cream. Want more cream. If you try and get the cream on top of the jam, you can't... It doesn't have any traction. There's not enough friction. So you want to, like, lather your clotted cream... Right. ...on top of your scone, and then a little dollop of jam. That's just Because if you need loads of jam... I don't know, I'll go both ways. The scone isn't moist enough. It's too dry if you need loads of jam to moisten it up, is my theory. Because the cream is not, clotted cream is not wet enough to add moisture. No. Because it's basically had the moisture taken out of it. Yeah, it's mostly solid, isn't it? That's why it's called clotted cream. cream. Although it's the only um, really food use of the word clotted. You have to not think too much about that, otherwise you'll never want a cream tea again. I was thinking, what else could they have called it? It's a bit like strained cream, isn't it? It's like a ricotta. I don't even know how they make it. How do you make your clotted cream? We have to Google this. I'm pulling a weird face because my brain is not... (laughs) I do know, but I can't get it. The drawer with that information in is right at the back. I have to shake my head around a bit and get it back up to the front. I think it's all merged into one, Tom, because we went to three cafes that day. (laughs) So we also went to... Basically, we just went to cafes. We went to Wimbledon Wimbledon Windmill. Have we talked about that before? No, we should probably do a... We'll do, we'll do more of a, a run on that yeah, one. So anyway, we went there and then we also went to Love and Peace East Leak, um, which is really set up for kind of cyclists, but also a great place to go shopping for ski stuff coming into ski season. One thing to remember about there is they're just coffee and cake. So no savoury. if you want a sandwich, go to Stonehurst Farm or Wimbledon Windmill, or one of the other many great establishments in the region. Um, well, that was a nice thing about this bicycle treasure hunt that we went on. Yeah. Is it very much focused on going to this independent businesses, mm-hmm. not large commercial cafes, yeah. nothing else. Let's go and support these businesses. And those businesses then were then super happy and supported yeah. the event. So they had, they generally they put on, they made extra cake, they put on extra yeah. staff. They knew when the cyclists were turning up so they could. And they were like, you, you asked them how busy, and they said, we've been really busy, but it's going to, it's all going to be good and we're going to settle down and just have a normal day yeah. afterwards. And what else did we have to find? We had to find a post box and work out what the last post time was. And yep. then we had to look at some road signs and work out the distances between places and write them on our little card. I had a great day out. Um, I, I then, oh, just to continue, this was a whole day of food excitement. I got home thinking, I'm tired. I want to sit down. My other half will be there. He'll sort dinner out. No, he'd gone out. He'd gone out. He'd left me. He'd gone to a beer festival. So I literally walked in and it was only about half past five in the afternoon and I ordered a Thai takeaway from B Thai in Beeston. It's very good. Recommended by my friend Adrian. Really, really enjoyed it. It's down kind of my end of town. Um, I'm going to order again probably in the next two weeks. So maybe when I've had my second lot of B Thai, we'll do a proper a proper description because to be honest, I don't even remember what I had. I just inhaled it. Well, I quite fancy some B Thai, so I might order it tonight or tomorrow and then we can have a... I talk about it. Great. Let me take a photo. And I ordered from Delivery, which was probably not a great thing to do for an independent business. And there was a leaflet in there which said, please order direct from us for the best deals. And it had like a 10% oh. off thing. So I'll take a photo and send That'd it to you. That'd be lovely. I quite fancy. I love Thai. I had some prawny, like a spring roll, but with a whole prawn in. Whole prawn. That's a bit brave. And I got, I only ordered a small order and they still gave me prawn crackers. 
They were delicious. I even had some of the prawns and prawn crackers the next day and they were good, which makes you makes me think that they, everything was made really fresh yep. because if it hadn't been, they would have all been horrible the next day. Um, so yeah, bee Thai. There's a few Thais in Beeston as well. Well, uh, There must be lots more across Nottingham. Thai is probably my favourite takeaway. Maybe we mm. need to have a little Thai takeaway series. I haven't had lobster pot yet either. We could do a Thai special. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like a plan. Uh, yes, because actually we've got something lined up that would be perfect for that. Oh, it's like I planned that and I didn't. I just waffled and it worked <laughs> out nicely. So I think we should probably say goodbye now. It's goodbye from Tom. It's goodbye from Stephanie. And we're going to go and keep eating. And you should too. Thanks for listening to Food Glue. Please subscribe to us and share us with all of your friends, family, your nan, your dog, whoever. We would love to hear from you via our Instagram at foodgluepod or you can email us at foodgluepod at gmail.com. And if you've got some spare time, please do rate and review us on your favourite podcast player because it helps other people to find us.